Today's guest became a U.S. Navy SEAL in 2001 and served until 2009. He is a recipient of the Bronze Star and other awards. He received a B.A. in History at Purdue University and an M.A. in International Relations at the University of San Diego. Combat veteran and author Ben Milligan is here, and I'll speak with him next. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spear. I've just released a brand new documentary. You can watch online for free on Tubi, the streaming service from Fox. The show is called Weather and Warfare, Millennia to Modern Time. Weather and Warfare dramatically retraces the meteorological forces during battlefield engagements that doomed or saved civilizations. In 1588, more than half of the Spanish Armada on its way around northern Britain was destroyed by storms in retreat back to Spain. Napoleon's attack on Russia was stopped cold by winter weather, as was Hitler's siege of Leningrad. Just click on the link in this episode's description to watch on the web or download the app or watch on Roku for free. I hope you check it out. His book is called By Water Beneath the Walls, The Rise of the Navy Seals, and author Ben Milligan joins us now. And Ben, it's so good to welcome back, welcome you back to the show because uh, we're into season three now and you were my very first guest. Thank you, Robert. It's great to be here. I think you were my first podcast interview. Oh, wonderful. You know, <laughs> come, come away since then. Yeah. <laughs> How is the book doing, by the way? I think it's doing well. I mean, I, it's doing better than I expected. I don't know if it's doing better than the publisher expected. Um, we are we're on the fourth printing. They decided to uh, for for the listeners. I um, they decided to extend uh, the hardback a year, so they're not going to paperback me uh, at a year, which I guess is good news. Yeah, I would. I don't know the publishing industry that well. I'm, yeah, it's first for me. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's a good thing. You know? I think it's a good thing. They want you to stay in hard hardcover as long as possible, so they they extended me a whole year, which is which is good news. So um, I think they were a little, uh, you know, when I finally handed the book back or you know, turned the book into them, it was five or five years. It was five, six years past its due date. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know what they expected to get, and when they finally did get it, they were like, "Well, this is a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be." <laughs> so, more pages is probably better, though. I would think more page. I, I think uh, a lot of readers, though. I think they were. I think they were concerned that re- a reader was going to look at that on a on a bookshelf and think that that's too much. So, but um, it's done well as far as word of mouth and everything. It's it's done well with the community, um, which is you know, more than I could have ever have hoped for. I mean, I, I think the SEAL teams um, are particularly sensitive to uh, uh, books that come out. Um, right. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of heartburn, you know, about a lot of the types of books that have come out. True. Um, and when this came out, I think it was a little bit of a breath of fresh air. I think it gave guys some of the, some of the backstory that they'd, uh, Kind of always hope to uh, hope to get or hope to know and um anyway so it, it's going well did you have to have this vetted by um the navy i did uh it it because uh you know as you know the book is um not just a book about the navy it's about really just special operations in general the history of you know all these various units from world war ii to vietnam so i had to go through 
uh, not only the Navy, the Navy was the first to take a look at it, but they, you know, they had to then do their due diligence with the Army, uh, the Marine Corps, and uh, the CIA. So it was a, uh, it was a lot. So um, they ended up, when they came back with their security review, and I, I kind of intentionally cut it off, you know, in, uh, at the end of Vietnam. But when they came back from the security review, they had three comments, um, and they were all, you know, uh, right around the last three pages of the book. Um, and it was the uh, it was it was from the army. The army had said, uh, "You can't you there can't be any mention of Delta Force." It's like, you know, there's a Chuck Norris movie made about Delta <laughs> Force. <laughs> So I was like, if you guys want to come after me for, for using Delta Force, that's fine, but I'm leaving it in. So. It's sort of an open secret that the Delta, Delta Force yeah. exists. Come on. Yeah. yeah I mean, but I did, I, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I submitted it, and fortunately it went okay. That's good. That's good. Um, we could talk about the book later, but I want to get back into uh, your own experience with the SEAL teams and uh, – Wanted to get your personal take on the training and um, right. how that experience is what experience was for you. Yeah, I've been um, thinking a lot about training lately. I'm getting ready to um, be part of a, a tour that's going to Normandy. Um, we're uh, taking a, um, it, it's, it's a partnership with the World War II Museum and the uh, Navy SEAL Museum. They are, uh, they're sponsoring a trip. Um, to the Normandy beachhead uh, to, to see, you know, all the sorts of special operations um, uh, sites or uh, operations that happen there. They've been kind enough to um, um, invite me to come along as a sort of speaker. Um, and, you know, the, every time I, you know, I go back to the, you know, the Normandy, uh, my Normandy stuff, my Normandy, I've got a whole pile of, uh, um, note cards and binders down here just to my left. Um, but every time I go through it, I can't help but, you know, think about uh, training because the, you know, sort of the um, uh, the DNA of uh, SEAL training comes from the preparations uh, for D-Day. Uh, you know, the Hell Week comes from there. Um, all these sort of team building exercises, they came from there was all developed by, you know, the guy Draper Kaufman. I, I give, you know, probably, you know, one of the bigger sections of the book is devoted to uh, Draper Kaufman, the reasons that he came up with uh, Hell Week and the reasons he created training the way that he did and why that, that training still exists today. Um, and it's interesting to go back through that. I think there's a lot of uh, kind of renewed interest in um, uh, SEAL training lately. We've had you know, a few, uh, a few high profile incidents that have happened. There's been, there was a recent death. Um, yeah, heard about that. So I think <clears throat> there's, there's increased, you know, scrutiny as to, you know, why they have this training, um, and why it's as difficult as it is. And, uh, you can't help but think back, you know, to your own experience, my own experience kind of echoes everything that's been going on right now. When I went through, uh, training, we had, uh, one of my classmates also died. Um, really? mm -hmm. He was uh, an incredible guy. Uh, he was the officer in charge of our class. He was, uh, John Scott was his name. He was a former, or he was an intelligence officer that had been um, um, assigned to the SEAL teams for uh, 
a couple years. So he was a known entity. He was well-respected. Um, he was a bit older uh, than I think a lot of guys uh, that go through a bit, a bit senior. He was a full Lieutenant. Um, but when he went through, he's a really big guy. Um, mm-hmm. He had, uh, uh, he was just a, he was a top performer, did really well. And then uh, uh, hell we came along and uh, I, I don't know all the details about what happened. Um, but we, he, he made it, uh, you know, very, you know, very close to the end. And, uh, I think the instructors were just trying to keep him in as long as they could until they could secure him and, you know, let him roll into the next phase of training. And, uh, it didn't, uh, didn't go the way that they had wanted. And, uh, he, he died during the pool exercise. Oh, really? One of the easier things that we had done. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, you, you, you can't help, um, you know, but wonder why, why is training as difficult as it is? I mean, there's nothing else in the military that compares, uh, to what, uh, what the Navy has put together um, right. or what the SEAL teams have put together before I, you know, started writing the book. I'd always been a bit self-conscious about anybody who ever said that SEAL training was the, the most difficult training. Um, but as I went through the book and as I studied, you know, uh, ranger training and uh, you know, special forces training and all and, and Marine Corps Raider training, everything. I, I came away from, you know, that experience and you know, realized it absolutely is the, the most difficult training. And I was, you know, I, I didn't understand why until I came in contact with, you know, the reason that, you know, Draper Kaufman put this thing together it was, you know, he was creating a unit that would be able to operate in incredibly difficult combat conditions and, and you know, not just combat conditions, but combat conditions in a maritime environment, um, which is, you know, an impossibly difficult uh, um, uh, type of environment to do that. And then when you create, or when you, you know, the SEAL teams are created in 1962 and, and the, you know, the, 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 scope of their missions is you know it's baked into the 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 name you know sea air and land it's an acronym you know um you know you you can't have um uh you know this sort of unit unless it's you know capable of you know performing in all those different environments and so the training has to be you know incredibly difficult um um, because you're not just you know you're not just looking for the type of person that can, you know, operate in those environments, but you're also, you know, trying to make that person a better person, you're, uh, you know, not yeah, raise the bar. You're trying to make him more, more capable, or at least, you know, make him realize how much more capable he really is. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Next time, outspoken former U.S. Marine Stuart Scheller will be here to talk about his book, Crisis of Command, How We Lost Trust and Confidence in America's Generals and Politicians. Ultimately, I decided to, to make a video demanding accountability. I said in the video, if you go back and watch it, that I knew I was risking my career and my retirement, my family stability. I'd obviously thought through that. I understood the ramifications of what I was doing, but I felt like the conversation I was trying to start outweighed the potential impact to me. I feel like my generation right now, the people in their 30s and 40s, don't get very active because they're really afraid of being canceled. They're all worried about their stability and their individual security. And oftentimes when you do speak up, you get canceled immediately and you get, you know, ostracized. A powerful episode you won't want to miss. There must be a a special camaraderie between SEALs. Um, Yeah, I think there is, but it's nothing. I I mean, yes, it's special. And I think it's, you know, it's, uh, it's exclusive and guys want to, make it even more exclusive, but I, I mean, it's no different than, 
you know, the, the camaraderie that Marines have or Rangers have or any other of these special units. I mean, they're all, I mean, when you look at them, they're all remarkable. Um, right. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything special about the camaraderie that, you know, SEALs have over anybody else. I mean, I'm, I couldn't be prouder to have been part of this community, but, you know, don't, uh, I don't have any illusions about, you know, the contributions of these other units. They're all pretty incredible when you look at them, and yeah. especially when you see everything they've done. Yeah, I interviewed uh, Major uh, Fred Galvin a couple of weeks ago, and he was the first um, MARSOC special operator commander oh, cool. in Afghanistan. And um, he's an amazing oh, sure. warrior. And uh, he led his team in Afghanistan. And he wrote a book um, called uh, A Few Bad Men, which... Um, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, which details how his unit was sort of uh, hung out to dry, unfortunately, um, mm. when they were just doing their jobs. Well, well, well a lot of people watch that episode and <laughs> read the book. Oh, I'm sure, especially, yeah, that's uh, that's compelling. <laughs> Yeah, a compelling yeah. story. Yeah, his uh, his story was so um, complex. I'll use that mm-hmm. word that we had to make it two episodes, it, um, spread it mm-hmm. over two episodes, and he had a lot to say. So I encourage people to um, listen. I wonder to how that, that uh, um, marries up, or, or what uh, similarities there would be, because you know the you know the MARSOC or you know the Marine Special Operations. They've been renamed. The Raiders, they, uh, yeah, which is funny because when I was re- working on the book, I mean, you know, my book about you know the Navy SEALs it opens with an entire chapter about the Marine Corps Raiders, mm-hmm. <laughs> which they had you know disbanded in 1944 and then you know reinvigorated the name. Uh, when did they when did they rename Marsoc? Uh, 2006, but they, they renamed went, it the Raiders. Yeah, they they went into testing in 2003 and. Okay. Uh, you know, use the name Raiders in, in homage to uh, homage to uh, World War Two. Yeah, <laughs> because the Raiders in World War Two, they I mean, they're they have some similar, you know, they have a similar story. They are, you know, they're created by the Marine Corps when the Marine Corps doesn't want them. And then the Marine Corps mm-hmm. disbands them. They, they they send them on a mission that's, a, you know, practically a suicide mission. And then they blame them, you know, for almost getting killed. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the argument, which I can see their point, the argument is Marines are considered an elite force. Why have an elite unit within an elite force? Right. Um, you know, their argument was that we're all elite. Um, but, you know, from what I understand, because I interviewed the author of uh, a book about the Marine Raiders, and... Um, is that during World War II, the, the missions changed from uh, the special ops to more conventional warfare um, with mass troops. That's what I understand the change was. It's true to, that's true to a degree, but as soon as they disbanded the Raiders, they ended up creating another unit that did the Raider mission. They just didn't have all the baggage that uh, you know, the Raiders had. And partly the reason that they didn't like the Raiders is because the Raiders are sort of forced down their throat by the U.S. Navy. And the Marine Corps, you know, being the Marine Corps, who, I mean, who wants to do what their parent service tells them to do? Yeah. So. And it was a, a 
not a pet project, but it was uh, spearheaded by FDR. Right. FDR. right. <laughs> and it wouldn't have happened without Jimmy Roosevelt. I mean, Jimmy Roosevelt was using all these back channels he had because, I mean, he'd been Roosevelt's chief of staff. He, uh, uh, he was a Marine, um, uh, a Marine Corps Reserve officer. So he was, I mean, he was using all these connections to, you know, end run <clears throat> around the chain of command. And, you know, he did that with Holcomb. Holcomb, he couldn't, I mean, Holcomb couldn't help but help Jimmy Roosevelt out. Mm-hmm. Holcomb, the son, would not have been able to walk if it hadn't been for Jimmy Roosevelt opening up the White House swimming pool for him. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there's all these weird connections between Holcomb and Jimmy Roosevelt and FDR and Carlson. Carlson had been a, um, assigned to um, Warm Springs um, mm-hmm. as a sort of Marine Corps liaison uh, when FDR was constantly going down there for rehabilitation. Anyway, that's a different story. Yeah, different story. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, that brings me to uh, another section I want to talk about as far as missions and uh, and SEAL missions. Mm -hmm. So, since you studied the history of SEALs and are, you know, essentially an expert on their service from the time you entered, I know it was different in the 60s, but from the time you entered um, the early 2000s, uh, have the missions changed today? Yeah, I, I mean, the uh, when I checked into SEAL Team 4 uh, back in 2002, mm-hmm. I mean, the, uh, the, the preparation for deployment was probably pretty similar to what it is now. I mean, it was, it seemed to be equal parts uh, maritime training and land warfare training. I mean, there was a we were, if we weren't, you know, doing some sort of urban warfare, land warfare uh, scenario with a significant, you know, assault component to it, we were, you know, doing some sort of maritime uh, training. We were pretty, pretty often in Chesapeake Bay, um, you know, driving around rubber boats or down in Florida or something like that, and some right. somehow rolling into a, you know, a, um, a, a dive, a dive profile or something like that. Now, um, Later, you know, as the as the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan you know, developed, uh, a lot of that maritime you know expertise uh, was left to wither on the vine a little bit, just because you know there wasn't there wasn't much use for it at the time. Um, we're operating in mountains and deserts and towns and things like that. Right. Um, uh, I think we're you know shifting back toward that. The, the sense that I get, uh, the one uh, really neat thing that I've you know, as the book has allowed me to do is to kind of reconnect um, with uh, uh, with some of the, the, the teams that are, you know, preparing to deploy. And I've been able to go and talk to them in the sense that I get is that they're, you know, there's a, uh, a, a real significant uh, push to get back into the maritime. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, area of operations. Um, well, I mean, we'll see if that holds. I mean, the enemy always gets a vote, you know, I mean, it depends who we, um, or what the what the next challenge is. I think anybody that thinks that we're going to completely shift away or the SEAL teams are going to completely shift away from some sort of, you know, land-focused, um, you know, operations, I think is you know, probably, you know, not, not right. If you hmm. see everything that's going on in Ukraine, I mean... Yeah, very true. What, what is uh, my, my favorite quote uh, by Clemenceau, uh, the, the beginning of the... Or, he was talking to Churchill. Churchill was the first Lord of the Admiralty, and Churchill at the time was, you know, um, convinced that uh, 
the First World War would be won at sea. Clemenceau tells Churchill, remember, um, Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo uh, by Wellington, not at Trafalgar by Nelson. So, I mean... Very true. Very true. Yeah. It's... Uh, but I, I I agree. There, uh, there's there's going to be always the maritime component because... Um... Yeah, but, the, but operations are sequential. And the, the reason that they... Um, ultimately, you know, disbanded the UDT and folded the underwater demolition teams into the SEAL teams is because the Navy realized that UDT and SEAL operations were um, sequential, not concurrent. So any underwater demolition tra- or mission, you know, the reconnaissance of beaches, the destruction of obstacles, uh, the uh, the movement of uh, of raiders uh, from uh, from ship to shore. Uh, that's going to precede any sort of invasion. And uh, SEALs can do that mission, but once that mission has been completed, you know, the idea is now we're ashore. You know, now now that now that, that maritime component is, you know, complete or has you know taken place, now uh, the SEAL teams, you know, are, you know, they, the, the, the Navy, we have to remember the Navy created the SEAL teams. So the SEAL teams didn't create themselves. And the, right. the, the SEAL teams were created because, uh, they provided the Navy with all these opportunities ashore, you know, once that conflict had moved inland. They provide opportunities for CBs, intelligence officers, naval guns, uh, naval aircraft, all these things. So the Navy, the SEAL teams are, are almost like that harpoon that you cast ahead, and then you have all the excuses for the Navy to continue to be involved. Sure, sure. So On another topic, and you may not know um, about this or, or found out, much in your research about this, but I was curious about the Space Force, if they're going to develop uh, special forces or if the Navy SEALs are actually involved with Space Force, because that's another territory. Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know. My kids would love to know. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) play enough Halo. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I just finished watching the series Halo, actually. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I have a great interest in space. Oh, yeah, me uh, too. Me too. I got to uh, talk with uh, um, uh, Johnny Kim recently, who's the uh, the SEAL astronaut. The uh, he was the um, SEAL Team Three operator that became a Harvard trained doctor, and then now he's an astronaut. Um, Quite a resume. <laughs> I mean, a fascinating person. He uh, has an incredible story uh, when he finally tells it, but. Uh, um, I also got to talk to Andy Weir, the uh, author of uh, Project Hail Mary and The Martian. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another, you know, fascinating guy. Uh, his books are incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. It's, uh, you know, it's something we can wonder about if the SEALs are going to move into space. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, where the SEALs have been... Um, you know, connected to the uh, the space program for a long time. UDT uh, eleven was attached to the Apollo program, uh, so all the all the astronauts that were landed back in the ocean, sure. they were sure. picked up by UDT eleven frogmen. Yeah, yeah. So there's a connection there. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the book is called "By Water Beneath the Walls: A Rise of the Navy Seals." And Ben, so wonderful to have you back. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. It's great. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me. Next time, outspoken former U.S. Marine Stuart Scheller will be here to talk about his book, Crisis of Command, How We Lost Trust 
and confidence in America's generals and politicians. Ultimately, I decided to, to make a video demanding accountability. I said in the video, if you go back and watch it, that I knew I was risking my career and my retirement, my family stability. I'd obviously thought through that. I understood the ramifications of what I was doing, but I felt like the conversation I was trying to start outweighed the potential impact to me. I feel like my generation right now, the people in their 30s and 40s, don't get very active because they're really afraid of being canceled. They're all worried about their stability and their individual security. And oftentimes when you do speak up, you get canceled immediately and you get, you know, ostracized. A powerful episode you won't want to miss. And if you like what you hear, leave a rating, a review, or just click the follow button. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Child. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spear. Music licensed from Audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.